Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. It's so good to be with you here. And as has been said, yesterday was just a fantastic day and we had a lot of fun. And so it's good to be with you here this morning. And we're actually going to carry over some themes from yesterday into our time together this morning. But before we do that, I'd love to introduce a little bit uh, of myself to you. This is a, a, a picture of a lot of girls and then me. And I get to also hold a little boy. And so this is the very female world that I'm coming from, uh, which explains a lot of what's going on up here or the lack of what's going on up here. And then uh, our youngest the other day said, why, why does your face keep getting more white? Uh, and um, I lovingly explained to her that it's in large part due to her. But, uh, um, you know, we joked about that. So here's what's going on. That's my wife, Emily, there in the back. Uh, and that's the position that she often takes, just likes to be behind the scenes uh, and high capacity person and just don't put me out front. I'll just hold everything together back here behind the scenes. And she's a fantastic uh, a wife and mom uh, in that regard. And uh, in the front there in the blue is Darby and then holding the little baby uh, is Presley. And then in the front there is Marley. Marley came to live with us. The little one with the glasses came to live with us when she was three days old through the foster care system in Houston. She was our very first placement. We became foster parents 10 years ago and she uh, never left. And uh, there's a beauty in that and there's a deep brokenness in that as well, that we grieve the fact that this is even a part of her story. And yet we celebrate that we get to be her mommy and daddy and that she gets to be in our family. And, and this is the new reality in which we have lived for the last 10 years, this tension of this, this, uh, this intricate mix of beauty and brokenness. And uh, since then, we've had other little girls come and go. Uh, behind Marley there is our oldest biological daughter, Macy, and then next to Macy is Guiana. Uh, we had some uh, uh, little ones come and then slightly older ones come and then slightly older ones come. And then... Uh, all of a sudden, uh, we started to have moms come come into our home. And so we met Guiana when she was 17 in foster care. Her little boy that I'm holding there uh, is Jordan, and he was one week old. When they moved into our home, they spent the first week of his life sleeping on a caseworker's floor, office floor up in Dallas. Uh, because frankly, in the foster care system, uh, very few people, if any at all, want a 17-year-old with a long rap sheet and a newborn baby. Who wants that? Well, my wife wants that. And so here's kind of how our marriage works. When she becomes aware of a situation, that's the equivalent of us having prayed about it and talked about it for a long time. (laughs) So I was traveling for work and I got a text about uh, this situation that she had become aware of online. Uh, On Facebook, people were advocating for this this, uh, teenager and her new little baby and my wife saw it and just knew. Uh, and when I came back, I think it was Monday morning from, from work, uh, we had a teenager and a baby in our home. And they've been a part of our family for the last five years. And uh, there's now a new little baby in the mix. Uh, that's baby Brooklyn there in the middle that, that Presley is holding. And she, for obvious reasons, is everyone's favorite. And you say weird things to her, like, I want to eat you. And like, you're like, that's kind of gross, but I get it, right? We just want to like eat you up because you're so cute. And so that's, that's our story. And so we, we became foster parents when we were uh, about 10 years ago. Uh, and uh, it's completely flipped our world upside down in every which way possible. We now live in an entirely new world. And so my job today is not to convince you to do what we've done. My job today is to invite you to consider that perhaps there might be something that God is wanting you to do 
to care for vulnerable children and families in your community. That's it. And for some of you, you might immediately kind of in your mind push back on that and say, yeah, I don't know that we have anything that we can do. And we're definitely not going to open our home. And we're definitely not going to do this. And I don't know if I have time. I don't know if I have capacity. And I get all of that. Trust me. I've run through all of that. There is no scenario uh, in which um, someone can find a loophole that I haven't already tried to find for myself. Right? So if we could all just kind of collectively agree that we're really good at, at finding the exceptions that apply to us. Uh, and then we just say, you know what, maybe, I'm, uh, maybe for the next uh, 30 minutes I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to play that game. That I would just kind of be free to hear whatever it is that the Lord might have for me this morning. If we could just open ourselves up to that. You know, every once in a while we come across these stories in the news and there are these stories of the, the Good Samaritan story where uh, someone comes across uh, some tragic scene and they rush towards it and uh, you change the characters and the names and the setting and, and they're all the same. It's kind of these, these heroic acts of people that do something that, that we, would, we, we question, gosh, if I were in that situation, what would I do? Would I do the same thing as that? And I came across this story from Southern California not long ago uh, and uh, it's one of my favorite versions of these stories, so watch this. Moments before this car went up in flames, the driver was pulled out by a good Samaritan on his way to lunch at the Bollinger Road shopping plaza. Ram Harut Sunyan says there were dozens of bystanders, but no one stepped up. He's in the white shirt, and you can see him run up to the driver and pull and drag him to safety before paramedics and firefighters arrive. His friend Leo shot this video of the rescue and put it on YouTube. I was Pretty surreal once we start. I love it. I love how it says his friend Leo, uh, who uh, stood off to the side, shot the video and, and put it on YouTube. I'm really okay with being Leo in those scenarios, right? Like, sign me up. Who wants to be Leo in the story? I'll take Leo. Uh, who wants to be Aram? Uh, uh, crickets, right? But we're all drawn to stories like this. And I love the interview that they did with him afterwards. Uh, and they asked, why did you do it? Why would you run towards a burning car to save someone that you don't even know while everyone else is stepping away and isolating? And your buddy over there, uh, Leo, is just recording it and posting it on social media because that's just what we do these days. Uh, and I love his matter-of-fact, simple answer. He simply said to the reporter, well, no one else was and someone needed to. And so I figured, why not me? Like, it's just really that simple. It's really that simple. And I think we love stories like this in part because all of us deep down inside have been born with this desire to, to live a life that matters, to actually be the kind of person that would run towards a burning car. And we're drawn to stories like this because we see other people doing that and, and we wonder, gosh, what would I do in a situation like that? Would I move towards or would I move away? And if we could just be honest in here this morning, we live in a world and, uh, that has a certain narrative to it, and that narrative can creep itself into the church, and I would say that it has, it does. Many of us brought it in here with us this morning. I know I did. It's this tension that we live in, where on one hand, the world says the goal of your life is to be as comfortable as possible and to avoid anything that's hard and difficult. And so when you come across the burning cars, step away, move away, isolate, insulate, Insulate yourself from a hard and broken world and set up a life in which you can live as if there is nothing hard and broken. And then if you ever come across anything that's hard or broken, then clearly something's wrong. You're doing something wrong. 
And yet, on the other hand, we want to live lives that matter, and we want to be the kind of people that would run towards the burning car. We want to be the kind of people that someone would say, why would you do it? And, and the, the matter-of-fact simple answer is because somebody needed to, and why not me? And so we live in the tension of these competing narratives at times, and I think we all feel it, that I want my life to matter, and I want to do hard things that matter, and yet I also want to be comfortable, and I want to live a life of convenience. And at the end of the day, something's got to give. Something's got to give. You know, when we talk about the gospel and we talk about the work of God on our behalf, in effect, what we're talking about is a God who has adamantly decided and consistently demonstrated that he is the kind of God that is willing to move towards and not away hard and broken things. That's just what he does. And if we had time in this room this morning, it would just be a fascinating uh, uh, opportunity for us to go around the room and each of us to give an example of how that's been true in our own lives. Here's my testimony of how God has moved towards me and my heart and broken. Amen. And then next, here's my testimony of how that's been true in my life, that what we believe in the gospel is that God moves towards hard places and broken people. That's just what he does. That he is not a God that isolates and insulates, but he is a God that moves towards and not away. So if I were stranded on a desert island, uh, and that would be it, that'd be enough. Like, sign me up, right? The whole scenario, if you're stranded on a desert island, you had to take three things. I don't, I don't care what I take. I just like the idea of being stranded on a desert island, right? But if you said, okay, the shipwreck uh, destroyed everything, uh, and it even destroyed part of your Bible, and the only thing that you can have on the island with you is your Bible, but part of it's destroyed, and there were only a few verses that were salvaged, what verses would you want? What verses would you take? And I would make a pretty strong argument for these verses right here. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. And so if you've got your Bibles or you've got your app or whatever it is, then I would invite you to open this up and just kind of walk, walk along with us and follow along with us. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to read through these verses, verse by verse, and just pick them apart and tell some stories and draw some applications. But here's why I would pick these verses, because this, this particular passage of Scripture tells us so much about who God is and what God does, and it lays out some implications for what that means in our own lives. And what it does is it, is it strongly communicates to us that God is the kind of God that moves towards hard places and broken people and not away from them. And then it invites us to do the same. That we would become the kind of people that move towards and not away. That we would become the kind of people that live according to a gospel narrative which says, why not us? Why not me? Rather than the narrative of the world around us which says, isolate, insulate, and step away from anything that's potentially hard or difficult or uncomfortable. So let me read through this, and then we're going to pick it apart verse by verse, uh, and then we will be done. It's that simple. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So that's a lot. So let's just start with verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, that phrase can literally be translated at just the right time. So you can read it. At just the right time, God sent forth his son, or Jesus was born of a woman. We know that woman's name to be Mary. And so right there is Christmas. This is my favorite Christmas verse that I never hear preached at Christmas. There's no magi, there's no angels, there's none of that. And all of that's fine, and it's true, and it's beautiful. But this is like the definition of Christmas. At just the right time, Jesus was born 
born of a woman. Now there is this additional phrase that says born under the law. We don't talk a lot about this at Christmas. We save it for Easter, but it's still very true at Christmas. And the connotation here is that Jesus was born under the weight of condemnation. He was born under the weight of a law that humanity could not live up to. In other words, at just the right time, Jesus was born as a human to die. That Jesus's mission on this earth was to move towards hard and broken things and to be crushed by those hard and broken things so that we don't have to be crushed anymore. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. If you were in a seminary class, then the professor might say that this is what is called the doctrine of incarnation. This idea that God would wrap himself up in flesh and take on human form is what we call the doctrine of incarnation. And so here's how it makes sense to me. I grew up in Texas, live in Texas. In Texas, we have these restaurants that are called Tex-Mex restaurants, okay? Uh, And essentially, it's like fake Mexican food. It's like Americanized Mexican food that, uh, you know, doesn't destroy our our tongues when we eat it. And if you go to like real Mexico and eat real Mexican food, you're like, wow, the stuff I've been eating my whole life in Texas is not actually Mexican food. It's basically just like an Applebee's version of Mexican food. But you can go to Tex-Mex restaurants and you can order chili con carne or, or queso con carne. That phrase con carne means with beef or with meat, right? And it's the same root language as this idea of incarnate, incarnation. It's literally God with meat on, okay? And I'm sure my seminary professor rolls over in his grave every time I use that illustration. He's like, stop doing that, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see him in heaven one day. He's going to be like, you told that illustration like 500 times, and it just gave me the shivers every time. Like, yeah, but here's what I've done. I've now given you a gift. The next time you go to a Mexican restaurant or somewhere that serves anything con carne, be there with your friends, order it, uh, take a bite and say, you know, while we're on the subject of incarnation. This just reminds me of what Jesus is talking And they're like, what are you talking about, dude? Right? But you could just be very impressive and sound very smart. You'll never eat it the same way. This is the idea of God with meat on. God with meat on. In other words, what we celebrate in the gospel and what we see to be true in the incarnation, what we celebrate at Christmas, frankly, the whole point of Christmas is essentially God saying this to us. I see you where you are and I'm coming after you. That's it. I see you in your brokenness. I see you in your struggle. I I see you where you are. And rather than remain at a distance, I'm actually going to enter into your story with you. I'm going to wrap myself up in your brokenness. I'm going to allow your brokenness to carry me to the cross. I'm going to be broken by your brokenness so that you don't have to be broken anymore. That is the gospel. The gospel is not God saying, I see you where you are and you need to get your act together. And then maybe one day you can work your way to where I am. That is not the gospel. The gospel is a God who says, I see you where you are, and I'm entering into your story, and I'm staying there. I'm staying there. And we're going to begin to write an entirely new story together. This is what we celebrate in the gospel. Matthew chapter 1, here's our Christmas verse. It says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. He's with us right now. He has come and he has entered into our story. We can see him and feel him and talk to him and touch him. This is the person of Jesus. 
who's wrapped himself up in our brokenness. Another verse, John chapter 1, verse 14 says, the word, or that's referencing Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That phrase, made his dwelling among us, literally means tabernacled among us. Or in other words, he, he, he built a home among us. Jesus became flesh. He wrapped himself up in our brokenness, and he built a home there. He stayed. He stayed. It's this idea of I'm, I'm coming after you and I'm staying and there's nothing that you can do and there's nothing that I will see and there's no part of the brokenness of who you are that would ever cause me to want to leave. In other words, nothing about you surprises me, God says. Nothing about you catches me off guard. I see you where you are and I'm coming after you and there's nothing that would ever make me leave. I'm moving in and I'm staying. One of my favorite writers, a guy named Henry Nowen, says it this way. He says, compassion isn't a bending toward the underprivileged from a privileged position. It's not a reaching out from on high to those who are less fortunate below. It's not a gesture of sympathy or pity for those, those who failed to make it in the upward pool. And I love this phrase. I love this phrase. On the contrary, compassion means going directly to those people and places where suffering is most acute and building a home there. That we would become the kind of people who say, I see you where you are. That we would go directly to those places where suffering is most acute. And we would move in and we would stay. That we would become the kind of people that move towards and not away. That move towards and not isolate and insulate. Because here's what's true. God sees hard people, hard places and broken people. And moves towards them and not away. This is what we celebrate in the gospel. And when he does that, he says, I'm entering into your story, and we're going to begin to write an entirely new story together. And so verse 5 begins to unpack that story. It says, he did this to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now remember that phrase, under the law. Jesus was born under the weight of condemnation. And now, verse 5 says, to redeem or to rescue or to bring out from underneath those who were under the weight of condemnation. So not only does God say, I see you where you are and I'm coming after you, but he says, I'm coming after you and I'm going to meet you right where you are. Right where you are. You are, you are buried under the weight of condemnation that you can't get out from underneath and I'm going to enter into that part of your story. I'm going to take your place there and you are going to be set free from that condemnation. And so the first thing that happens when Jesus enters our story and begins to write an entirely new one is that our past is redeemed. Romans chapter 8 says it this way, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation. That when I look back on my past now, and I look back on my, my past sin and my past grief and my past struggle, whether it's things that I've done or it's things that have been done to me, there is no condemnation. My past in Jesus is no longer a source of condemnation. It has now become a platform of celebration. Because I can look back on my past and I can say, wow, look at what Jesus has done. I was blind and now I can see. I was lame and now I can walk. I was dead and now I'm alive. It is no longer a source of condemnation. Perhaps there's someone in the room this morning that has a very dysfunctional relationship with their past. That your past is a source of condemnation for you. 
perhaps something that you've done or something that's been done to you, and it weighs you down, and it's literally destroying your present reality. And what Jesus says to you here this morning is this, is that he can take that, and he's willing to be crushed by that so that you don't have to be crushed anymore. You can be set free from that. And you can now no longer look on your past as a source of condemnation, but as a platform of celebration. Why is this important for us? It's important for us to understand that freedom for us. It's also very much part of the reason why we would be the kind of people that move towards hard places and not away from them. Not long after Guiana moved into our home at the age of 17 and a half, she had grown up in foster care since she was six. This girl has been handed a life that no one deserves, and she's done her best to survive. And what we find with with those who experience severe trauma is that when all that they have uh, is, is, is the opportunity to survive each day, it leaves zero room to dream about the future. Because it's just all about surviving today and doing whatever I have to do today to survive today with no thought or implications for tomorrow. Not long after moving into our home, she knocks on our bedroom door late one night. It was one of those days where we just needed to chill and veg and like mind numb, right? So I don't know. We probably had like Chip and Jojo or HGTV or something on, right? Just give us something that doesn't require much thinking. And, and uh, that's what we're in the middle of. And she knocks on our bedroom door and she, she asks the three words that terrify me the most because there's very little that's easy that follows these three words. And she says, hey, can, can we talk like, oh my gosh, right? Like there's, literally, like, there's nothing short or simple that follows that question. It's like, yes, come on in, of course, come in. Uh, we say, what's on your mind? And she says, hey, I've been thinking about what I want to be when I grow up. This is a 17 and a half year old girl. Been thinking about what I want to be when I grow up. And we say, this is, this is great. What do you, what's on your mind? She says, I want to be a social worker so I can be a caseworker for kids in foster care. We said, that's un- unbelievable that we even live in a world where that job has to exist. But how beautiful would it be for you to be in that role? For a a kid to have probably one of the worst days of their life and for you to be the one to walk in and look them in the eye and say, listen, kid, I am you. I get it. And I'm going to walk with you through this. That's amazing, Guiana. And so what struck us about that night is that Guiana was beginning to dream about her future. This is a girl that's only ever had to survive each day. And now she's got some room to start dreaming about the future. But here's what struck us the most is that she was dreaming about her future because of her past. She basically said, all I've ever had my whole life is bad caseworkers. They were supposed to help me and they made things worse. And I want to be a good one for kids that are in the same spot that I was. This is a girl who understood that maybe my past doesn't have to drag me down. And she's still struggling with this. We all do. But this is the power of the gospel to say that very thing which was intended to drag you down can now be the very thing that propels you forward. It's an entirely new platform. Our past has been redeemed. And then Paul continues. He says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So now he starts talking present tense language. Right now, in Jesus, the spirit of God has given you the ability to refer to God and relate to God as Abba, Father. Now that word Abba is a very tender and affectionate form of the word Father. It's a bit redundant. He's almost saying Father, Father, but that first word Abba has a slightly different connotation to it. Our modern translation of that word might be the word Daddy. It's got this tender and affectionate connotation to it. 
And so he's saying right now you have the ability in Jesus, in your present reality, to refer to God and relate to God, not only as father, but now also as, as daddy. Okay. Now, my girls call me daddy. Uh, I'm going to ride that train as long as I can, even when they're like 52 and it's a little awkward and maybe borderline inappropriate. Uh, I'm still going to ride that train as long as I can. And uh, I am daddy. And uh, not long ago, I texted my 16-year-old and she didn't answer, and which was fine. And I got home and I saw that her phone was charging in the kitchen and that's why she didn't answer. She didn't see it. And I went over there and I, I saw my text on the screen uh, and the name said dad, right? So I very quickly logged, you know, got into her phone and corrected that contact, right? <laughs> the name is Daddy, all caps, slash don't change it, you know? <laughs> now, uh, I'm the same guy. I am father. But what's more important for me, uh, for my girls to understand right now, is not so much that I'm father that carries this, this kind of official, like, uh, uh, um, authoritative tone, What's far more important for me right now for my girls to understand is that I'm daddy. There's an approachability there. There's a vulnerability there. There's a sense in which no matter what, I can come to you and I know exactly how you're going to respond to me like a good daddy would. So I think what Paul is suggesting here is that in your past, we were under the weight of condemnation and we were never quite sure what God thought of us or if we were okay. And now Jesus has taken care of that. And so we live now in a new present security. We live now in a new present security where we can come to him with anything and we know exactly how he's going to respond to us like a good dad would. Why is this important? It's important for us to understand in our own lives so that we can then turn around and, and bring that to bear into the lives of others who don't feel an ounce of security today who wonder, who's for me and who's not? Where am I going to eat? Where am I going to sleep? Who's with me on this? All I feel like I've got to do is survive each day. What if we were the kind of people who stepped into that and towards that and said, listen, you don't have to survive each day anymore. You can live within the security of knowing that you are loved and cared for and everything that you need will be provided for you. Just rest in that security. And then Paul continues he says, so you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you're an heir through God. And so now he starts using future language. Our past has been redeemed. Our present's been secure. And now he starts to talk about our future. An heir is someone who lives today with the assurance of what's to come tomorrow. That we live now with a future hope. Scripture, over and over again, whenever it talks about what's to come in our future, it says a couple of things. The first thing that it often says and repeatedly says is this, is that glory is coming. It says things like our outward bodies are wasting away. And the older I get, the more I uh, really believe in the inerrancy of Scripture on that verse in particular. Like, I get it. My outward, outward bodies are wasting away. But Scripture says our inward souls are groaning for and longing for the glory that will be revealed. It says that while our present struggles have a certain weight to them, they pale in comparison to the weight of glory that will be revealed. What's to come in our future? Glory is coming. What's to come in our future? Glory is coming. What's going to happen in the news next week? No idea. What's going to happen in the world tomorrow? No idea. But what I do know is that in the end, Jesus wins over all of it. Glory is coming. 
And so the first promise of our future is that glory is coming. The second promise is this. Hey, it's going, a little, it's going to be a little bumpy along the way. And it's going to become increasingly bumpy along the way. That's what Jesus says. He never says, follow me. And from this point forward, guys, man, just smooth sailing. And it's just going to get easier as we go. He says actually quite the opposite. Follow me and it's going to become increasingly difficult. The world is going to turn against you. You know, frankly, I don't know that Jesus has surprised one second regarding the, the current cultural climate that we live in. I don't think it shocks him at all. I think he said, I told you. I told you. This is where we're headed. It's going to become increasingly bumpy along the way, but I win over all of it. That's your future hope, that in the end, Jesus wins. And so while our past has been redeemed and our present has been secured, our future has also been altered. We have a new future trajectory in Jesus. Why is this important for us to understand? Because we now get to live today, not in fear of what's to come, but in a hope of what we know is coming. That in the end, Jesus wins over all of this and everything that's wrong will be made right and everything that's broken will be made whole. That we are participating with him in the renewal of all things. That everything that is sad will be made right. There will be no more tears, no more sickness, no more death. And we long for that day while we live in a present age, which will become increasingly difficult. In the end, we put our heads down on the pillow at night and we sleep well knowing that Jesus wins. And that's our hope, that we have a future hope. And so Guiana knocks on our door late that night and says, I'm starting to think about what I want to be when I grow up. And perhaps for the very first time in her life, she's got a little bit of margin, just enough to start dreaming about what she hopes for in the future. You don't just have to survive today. You can actually look forward to what's to come tomorrow. And you don't have to worry about it. Why is this important for us to understand? So that we don't live in fear And so that we also can move towards and step towards those who are in hard and broken places and say, You don't have to either. You don't have to worry about who's going to love you tomorrow or where you're going to live tomorrow or if you're going to eat tomorrow or what your life is going to look. You don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to. And so this is our testimony that Jesus would step into our story and begin to write an entirely new one. And then you and I become the kind of people who raise our hands and worship to that and then refuse to use those same hands to push the brokenness of others away. But instead, we raise our hands in worship to what God has done for us, and then we extend those same hands out to the most broken and vulnerable around us. And we say, let's begin to write an entirely new story together. For the sake of time, we're going to skip over this. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. There we go. There we go. All right. Barbecue, that's it, right? So the implications, I think, are clear for us. We can just be honest. The implications are that as we become increasingly aware of the good work that Jesus has done for us, we then become... uh, increasingly aware of the opportunities to extend that work into the lives of the most vulnerable around us. And our eyes and our ears and our our minds become more open to the reality of what's happening around us. 
And we, we begin to consider with more confidence and clarity and humility, God, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me? Not long ago, I was in Kansas City uh, at a very large uh, dinner, uh, appreciation dinner for foster families. And there were a couple hundred foster families in the room. And uh, it was a beautiful night. And at the end of the night, uh, the, the, a guy comes up to me and uh, the, the, the night was catered by a barbecue restaurant. And a guy comes up to me after and he says, hey, man, uh, I own the restaurant that catered the barbecue tonight. And uh, look, we're not in a position where we can bring children into our home. Uh, but um, I, I own the best barbecue restaurant in Kansas City is what he said. What's well, a bold claim in Kansas City if you've ever been like just if you would just stop talking about the chiefs and your barbecue, like then we could get along. Right. So that's a bold claim. I own the best barbecue restaurant in Kansas City. Uh, and he said, here's what we've told agencies, organizations, churches, families. Anytime uh, there's a foster family function or a family brings a new placement into their home, call us. We're going to be the first one there delivering the best barbecue in Kansas City for free. And so here's a guy who said, look, I know what I can't do, but I know what I can do. And what I can do, I can do really, really well. And I love that. I love that. I love a guy that's willing to get creative and say, look, the implications are the same for all of us, but the applications are diverse and unique. And as diverse and unique as each individual person in this room. Some of us have businesses, experiences, degrees. We have, we have uh, expertise. We have passions. We have hobbies. And God is inviting us to get creative and to consider what is the application for me? What is the good thing that I can bring to the table for the good of the whole? This is how the body of Christ works. This is how we interact and operate with each other. Romans chapter 12 <clears throat> says it this way. All, all, as in one body, we have many members. The members don't all have the same function. Though we, though are many, are one body in Christ. We are individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Elsewhere in scripture, it says that some are ears and some are eyes and some are hands and some are feet. That it's this beautiful diversity coming together in unity, saying that we're not all called to do the same thing, but we are all capable of doing something. Everyone can do something. Everyone can do something. We just saw that beautifully reflected through this church body yesterday. Unbelievably so. This stage was filled with people who said, I can do something. I can do something. And for some of us, it's going to mean opening our homes to kids. And there's some of you in the room that have been praying about it and considering it for a long time. Praying about it for a long time. Like for perhaps far too long. This sounds strange, but maybe you need to stop praying about it. You go, well, you're not allowed to say that. Well, think of it this way. What if, what if I told my kids, I want you to clean your room, clean your room, clean your room. And they kept coming back to me and say, hey, I heard what you said. I just need a little more clarity. What do you want me to do? Well, I want you to clean your room. Okay, great, got it. And then they come back the next day, they haven't cleaned their room yet, and they say, I say, hey, why haven't you cleaned your room yet? Well, I, I just have a few more questions. Uh, so when you say clean your room, what exactly do you mean? What's that going to require me? I say, I just want you to clean your room, right? And then at some point they come to me and say, hey, Dad, I've got, I've got a couple more questions. I'm like, nope, we're done talking about it. I've made myself clear. I've made myself clear to you. It's time for you to just do it. I think some of you might be there. And then there's others of you that uh, the absolute worst thing that you could do for everyone involved is bring a kid into your home. You know who you are. You could barely feed yourself and tie your own shoes. Please, for the love of God and kids, don't do that right now, right? But that doesn't mean that there's nothing you can do. You might have a barbecue story that you need to bring to the table. 
because we believe everyone can do something. It might look like this in your church. It does look like this in your church. It looks like families in your city and your community and your church and a bunch of other people wrapping around them saying, let's get creative. Let's get creative and let's do this together. And so I'm going to leave you with this question. In light of what Jesus has done for us, in light of what we believe Jesus has done for us, in light of what we celebrate, the question is not, can I do something? The gospel changes the questions that we ask. It is no longer, can I do something? The question now is, what is my something? What is my something that I can bring to the table for the good of the whole? And so I'm going to pray for us to that end, that God would help us lean into that and would give us the wisdom to identify that and to do it. Father, we thank you for the good work of Jesus on our behalf. And I, I pray for all of us in this room that live within that tension of we want, we want comfort, God. We want convenience. And, and we battle against that because we also want our lives to matter for some things. And we know that that's going to require some hard things and some difficult things and some uncomfortable things. And so I pray that you would give us grace in the midst of that tension and that your spirit would, would give us wisdom to discern what our next steps might be. What is the thing that you are inviting us to move into? And would you give us, not the clarity so much. Some of us are clear. You've given a lot of us clarity. And so I pray over this room, yes, for clarity, but then above and beyond that, I pray for courage. I pray for the courage to say yes to the things that you have made clear for us. And it's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live sent.